Aloha, and welcome back to the Healing Laughter Podcast, the show where we talk about all things narcissistic abuse. I'm your host, Katie Utterback. I'm a certified narcissistic abuse recovery coach at Elevated Aura, an international holistic coaching firm specializing in helping survivors of toxic relationships learn self-love and how to live their best life. So Friday the 13th was the other day, and I shared a post on Instagram kind of explaining the origin of Friday the 13th and how it's actually not a day to be feared at all. And I got such a positive response from so many of you. So many of you uh, shared with me that you had no idea the origins of Friday the 13th and how powerful of a day it was. So I thought that I would actually dive a little bit deeper with you and go into the origins of Friday the 13th a little bit more. Um, Because the truth is, Friday the 13th and these kind of superstitious energies are something that used to scare the bejesus out of me because I've always been a very um, superstitious person. Uh, I actually, even the word superstitious kind of makes me laugh a little bit because if you've ever watched The Office, you know, Michael Scott jokes about how he's not superstitious, he's just like a little stitious. And that had me roaring when I first heard that joke because. I would probably describe myself as um, super superstitious. So I am not just a little bit. Like I am full on running sometimes away with these conspiracy theories and, and superstitions. So this for me in my life has meant that like if I'm wearing a shirt and something bad happens, uh, or maybe it's even an entire outfit, a new hairstyle, new makeup, like whatever – if I wear something and it doesn't go that well, like maybe I have a bad day or whatever, I might, might being the key word here, wear that outfit or try that new makeup or something one more time. But if I have a bad time, uh, you know, with these new shoes or my hair is just not working with this, I, I will be done. I'll just decide that yes, this clothing or whatever is cursed and I will not wear it again. So I've been, I was thinking about this the other day on Friday the 13th, just how, like, where did my superstitious attitude come from? Because superstitious attitudes, they can definitely be taught, but I wasn't necessarily taught, you know, to fear Friday the 13th. Um, So I was trying to think like, okay, where did this come from, this superstitious attitude? And so I've been trying to figure out uh, 0.0, you know, the first thing that I was like, okay, all this shit is real. I haven't figured out the 0.0 origin yet, but I was thinking about when I got my driver's license and how I had a whole superstitious routine uh, around driving and like safety in a car. So I learned in driver's education that if you're wearing a ring while you're driving, you could seriously injure yourself or the passenger in the front seat with your ring. If you were able, if for whatever reason, if you got into an accident and your hand went up flying, it was thought that, you know, especially if there was a gem that it could just basically slice open that person's like face. So I was taught that if you're wearing a ring to always twist it around so that in the event of an accident, you're not going to basically tear open that person's face that's sitting next to you. So I got into this habit of I was always twisting around the ring on my finger before I even put the car into like reverse or forward. (laughs) So after a few months of not getting into any accidents, not getting pulled over by the police, 
I basically attributed my safe driving record to this routine of turning the ring around on my finger before I ever put the car in drive. And what started happening was after, you know, a couple years of, of driving and not having any sort of incident, I would sometimes forget to do this little routine because it had become just so like ingrained that I started to just feel safe without necessarily thinking about it. So sometimes I would put, I would uh, shift the the gear of the car and then I would start to panic because I would look down and I would see that I had forgotten to turn the ring around on my finger. And so even if I hadn't, you know, moved the car, the fact that I had shifted without turning the ring around on my finger would basically put me in this panic because I had concluded that if I didn't do this routine that I had set up for myself, that I was basically tempting fate. So if I noticed that, you know, I put the car in reverse and I hadn't twisted the ring around, or maybe I had even driven a few blocks before realizing that I had not turned the ring around on my finger, I would basically have to be on high alert for the rest of the day, maybe even the rest of the week or even month, because I basically concluded that I had tempted fate and that I was pushing my limits here. So as I got older, my my driving habit, the superstition, it didn't go away necessarily, but it shifted. So when I was in my early 20s, my extreme rationalization for the luck in my life and everything, it changed from uh, being based on my jewelry, whether or not I had turned the ring on my finger, to revolve around my horoscope. So at this point in my life, I was really just kind of confused. I didn't know if I was on the right path. I didn't know if I was supposed to be working in journalism. I didn't know if the people that I thought were going to be in my life forever were truly going to be in my life forever. So I ended up paying a few hundred dollars for a personalized numerology forecast. And numerology was new to me at this time. So um, I was excited that I felt like I was going to get a deeper dive into my energy and what kind of was going to be happening in my life because I thought this was going to go uh, way deeper than just like a generic, like, you're a Taurus and this is what's going to happen for you, Taurus. So I, when I got this report back, because I had paid hundreds of dollars and because I was so fragile in a sense, and I, I was so desperate to just keep on a course in life in which I would, you know, achieve happiness and achieve all of these things that I wanted. I basically did whatever the report told me to do. So if the report said, hey, you know, no swimming in a pool today or I don't want you to wear the color pink for the rest of the week. Oh, I you bet your sweet bippy. I listened because I wanted to make sure that I attracted good and I wanted to make sure that I was staying on course to receive blessings. And so, well, the report actually never said, you know, don't wear pink. It did tell me that a color that works for me and my energy is actually the color green. And the reason that I bring this up is because the numerology report, this forecast said, you know, this is all about your energy in its pure form. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to resonate with all of this information in this report at this current time, 
but there is a part of you that will resonate with this at some point in your life. And it's interesting that in the last couple of years, because I totally forgot about this whole color thing, but in the last couple of years, I've really been trying to focus on my relationship with money in particular. And one thing that I've been doing has been wearing the color green a lot. And this report actually told me that I needed to wear green to attract money. So that is kind of interesting. But anyway, um, it was when I got this numerology forecast that I really started to learn about the study of numerology. And I learned about numbers and, and patterns in nature that I had seen and I had noticed before, but I hadn't really, uh, I wasn't aware of what exactly it was that I was noticing. So things like rings around a tree, uh, patterns on a pine cone, patterns on uh, like tree leaves, patterns on fruits like pineapples and strawberries, like the seeds and like the the outer like, shell or whatever that is on a pineapple. There's a pattern to all of that. And what's interesting is that the the pattern is the same on every single fruit. Like there's always the same number of that design on the outer part of the pineapple and same with strawberries and pine cones. So once I started learning that, I really got into this subject because of numerology, because to me, it felt like I was falling down this rabbit hole, like into Alice in Wonderland. I Learning numerology existed was one thing. And then learning what the basic numbers represented, what my name significance was in numerology, um, you know, like along with my birth date, all of that was very, very interesting to me. But then when I started learning about other aspects of numerology, like how numerology affects all of us on a collective level, and it's not just an individual level kind of a thing, like dates and time, for example, like your birth date is something that affects you and is unique to you. But dates and time, like it being August 2021, there's a certain energy in that month, in that year that affects us all. And as I learned about the basics of numerology and just how deep and broad this study is, and then not only how deep and broad numerology is in itself, but how it connects to other deep studies like manifestation and the law of attraction and human design and angelic messages from the divine and spiritual realm. In order to understand all of these new studies and understand like what exactly they were trying to teach me, I had to let go and unlearn a lot of what I already knew or perceived to be true. So Friday the 13th was actually one of those things that I had to unlearn. I had to unlearn that Friday the 13th and the number 13 itself is not bad or unlucky just by existing. I actually learned the opposite, that the number 13 and specifically Friday the 13th was actually an incredibly lucky day and it was incredibly potent in terms of manifestation and magic. Friday the 13th historically is a day celebrating the divine feminine energy because the number 13 represents the 13 lunar cycles that we have every calendar year. And the number 13 also represents the number of menstrual cycles that a healthy, fertile woman has every year. And the relationship between menstrual cycles and the moon is also something of historical significance. It's actually why periods or menstruation is sometimes known as a, a moon cycle or a monthly womb cycle. 
it's because there is that correlation between the moon and periods. Now, in numerology specifically, the number 13 is known energetically for being like a realist. So the number 13 expresses itself creatively because it encourages acceptance. It encourages understanding what kind of goals that you're trying to go after. And it helps you pursue the goals in a pragmatic manner. Meaning the energy of the number 13 is all about knowing what it is you want and gaining support for your goals from other people. So how did we end up in this reality, in this world where we came to know Friday the 13th with so much fear and terror? How did we even come to fear the number 13 in general? So I did some digging and I learned that for starters, even numerologists acknowledge right off the bat that the energy surrounding the number 13 is incredibly powerful. And it's because of the power of the number itself that numerologists and even tarot readers acknowledge this, that there's negative superstitions about the the number 13 because of its power. So in in other words, the number 13's energies are so intense that some people just can't deal with it. So instead of acknowledging the power behind the number 13 and how much of a good, maybe even chaotic force it is just on its own, it's just been labeled as evil and dangerous. So numerologists will ask you to keep in mind that the symbology and meaning assigned to the number 13 by religious organizations and superstitious thoughts are not the same as the energetic explanation for the number 13. So essentially the symbology and the meaning are two distinct concepts. And let me just kind of uh, explain that a little bit more with some examples. So one myth or symbolic meaning, I guess, behind the number 13 and why it's evil is related to patriarchal religions. So, for example, in Christianity, it's thought that the number 13 represents death. And that's because at the Last Supper, Jesus Christ died shortly after eating with the 12 apostles. So there's some thought that if you're eating at a table with 12 other other people, so if there's 13 people at a table, that somebody's going to die within a year. And in the book Extraordinary Origins of Everyday Things, it's a book by Charles Panati, the concept of a cursed number 13 was actually traced back to Norse mythology. And you might actually be familiar with Norse mythology if you're a fan of Marvel, uh, because there are some characters that share some names. So Loki, the god of mischief in Norse mythology, crashed a banquet that was being held in Valhalla. And when Loki crashed the banquet, the number of gods in attendance jumped from 12 to 13. So what happened at this banquet also was that Loki, remember he's a trickster, he deceived the blind god Hodor. And when Loki tricked Hodor, Hodor ended up shooting his brother Balder. And Balder was the god of light, joy, and goodness with uh, a mistletoe-tipped arrow. And so Basically, Balder dies instantly from this arrow that Hodor shot. And so basically, it's kind of like the Last Supper. There were 13 at this banquet in Valhalla. 
the arrow shoots because Loki deceives Hodor, and now Baldur's dead. So it brings the number back to 12 from 13. And then if we look at Friday, Friday wasn't always deemed unlucky, but in the patriarchal religion uh, history, Fridays have been exceptionally unlucky days. So the first uh, event that may pop into your mind would be the crucifixion of Jesus. So Jesus died on Good Friday, um, but there's actually more uh, trauma, I guess, that happened on Fridays in Christianity. So Friday is allegedly the day that Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden and got kicked out of paradise. It was allegedly on a Friday that Cain murdered his brother Abel. It was on a Friday that the Temple of Solomon was toppled. And it was a Friday when Noah's Ark set sail on the Great Flood. There's other thoughts to why Friday the 13th has so much like fear and terror associated with it. So we know um, in 1907, there was a book published by Thomas Lawson, and it's actually a novel called Friday the 13th. And the book, um, because it's a, it's called Friday the 13th and it's about a Friday the 13th, but in the book, um, it's basically this unscrupulous broker takes advantage of the superstitions surrounding Friday the 13th, and he's able to deliberately crash the stock market. So that's another um, myth or thought, like why we started fearing the Friday the 13th is literally just a book that somebody created in 1907. And then, um, you know, Fast forward to the 1980s, there's a different kind of uh, media Friday the 13th. There was the hockey masked killer, Jason Voorhees, in the slasher flick franchise, Friday the 13th. And then in 2003, there was the Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. And in this story, which also was a popular movie with Tom Hanks, there was a an incorrect claim that Friday the 13th and its superstitions surrounding it uh, first started in 1307 when there were hundreds of members of the Knights Templar who were arrested on Friday, October 13th in 1307. So now if we dig a little bit deeper, though, we can find evidence that Fridays and the number 13 in history were long regarded as a harbinger of good fortune. So before patriarchal times, before Jesus and Christianity, Friday the 13th was actually considered the day of the goddess. It was not a day to fear at all. It was actually a day to worship the divine feminine that lives in us all. It was a day to honor the cycles of creation and death and rebirth, kind of like how the moon has its own kind of death and, and rebirth cycle, right? Like the moon goes dark with the new moon. It's barely visible in the night sky. And then as we work up to the full moon, the moon starts to glow more brilliantly and brightly. And then when it's about 28 days later, it's absolutely full in the sky and it, it just glows so brilliantly and it shines a light on, you know, like all of this shit in our lives that we need to, to improve or go after or whatever. Now, 28 days is the average moon cycle between the new moon and the full moon. 28 days is also the average length of a woman's menstrual cycle. So again, there's that correlation between the moon and menstrual cycles. So back, way back, <laughs> a woman was actually considered to embody the divine and magical powers when she got her period. 
Now, this is before Christianity, before patriarchal societies dominated the globe. So that's kind of how the moon and Fridays and 13, they, they all started to become associated with goddess energy and the divine feminine. Because when a woman had her period, she was regarded by all in society for her wisdom and her ability to offer intuitive and psychic messages to members of her community. So it was only when society became more patriarchal that women were basically shamed for having their periods and essentially excommunicated during the length of their period. And in pagan times, Friday was believed to have a unique association with the divine, specifically the divine feminine. And that's because Friday is connected to Venus. So Venus is the goddess of love and beauty. And we know of the goddess of love and beauty as Venus in like Latin, Italian cultures, mythology. In other cultures, there's a different name for the goddess of love and beauty. So in Old English, or um, actually, so in Norse mythology, the queen of Asgard, the powerful sky goddess who was associated with love and marriage and motherhood, so basically the old uh, Norse goddess of love and beauty, her name was Frigg or Frigga. There's two different, like, records of that. So Friday, the weekday name that we know, is actually derived from that goddess's name, Frigg. So Friday actually literally means day of Frigg. So it's like Frigg day, Friday. So Friday has always been associated, like I said, with Venus, with Frigg, with love, with marriage, motherhood, with like this goddess energy. And Frigg in particular in Norse mythology, she gave protection to homes and families. She maintained social order and she basically weaved fate like she weaved the clouds together. So Frigg possessed the art of prophecy. She could bestow or remove fertility, which was a really, really big deal. And, and then on the other hand, Freya, who is the goddess of love, fertility, and war, with whom Frigg was often conflated, well, Freya was endowed with the power to perform magic, predict the future, and determine who would die in battles. And she was said to ride in a chariot pulled by two black cats. So again, this is a reminder that Black cats were associated with femininity, with magic and the moon. They were not associated with like evil and like bad omens. So these two goddesses, Freya and Frigg, were worshipped widely across Europe. It wasn't just like in a, it wasn't just Germany or anything. So because of the association between these two goddesses and the moon and love and especially fertility, Friday then became like this really lucky day then for marriage, for trying to have a baby. And then the number 13 had long been regarded as, um, it was long regarded by goddess worshiping cultures because of its link to the moon and menstrual cycles. And fertility, especially in pagan times, was incredibly prized. So artwork was often... Um, it often included connections to menstruation, to fertility, to phases of the moon. And it wasn't until Christianity gained momentum in the Middle Ages that paganism stood at odds with this new patriarchal faith and this new patriarchal order. So in the Middle Ages, when Christianity started to rise, 
worshiping multiple gods and goddesses, celebrating Friday, celebrating the number 13, um, basically celebrating uh, love, sex, fertility, magic, and pleasure, it was all deemed unholy. And the church, the Christian authorities, they didn't just deem these goddesses, this um, fertility, magic, menstruation kind of energy as unholy, but they branded the deities and the women who worshipped them as witches. So early witches were essentially people who were natural healers, light workers, holistic energy healers, um, people who would use magic spells in nature and call upon like universal energies to help them heal or bring about change. So as Christianity started to take over more and more, witch hysteria really took a hold of Europe during the mid-1400s. And that's it was during the 1400s when many accused witches confessed, uh, often under torture, that they, yes, had participated in a variety of wicked behaviors. So within a century um, of this starting to take place, witch hunts just became common. And most of the accused witches were executed by burning at the stake or hanging. They were predominantly um, single women, widows, and other women on the margins of society. Uh, and then between the years 1500 and 1660, there were more than 80,000 sus suspected witches who were put to death in just Europe alone. And it's believed that 80% of the women who were um, burned or hung for being witches were in cahoots with the devil and filled with lust, which kind of makes me really sad because it's still kind of the excuse that we hear today from men who engage in mass shootings or men who just brutally abuse or kill women. It's always like, well, they were tempting me or whatever. Um, so going back though to, to Europe in the 1500s and 1600s, I found out that Germany had the highest witchcraft execution rate and Ireland had the lowest. And I find that very interesting because my ancestors specifically come from both Germany and Ireland predominantly, like of the two nations in the in the world or in Europe, most of my uh, DNA or my ancestry comes from those two countries. And I can't tell you how many messages I've seen in the last year, especially that say things like, your ancestors were likely secret medicine women or healers or had some sort of intuitive powers and once I started learning that witches burned at the stake were burned for doing like what I literally do now with crystals and breath work and manifestation, holistic and natural remedies, it really started to dawn on me just how far we've gotten away from like our true selves and our true purpose on this earth. And I think it really explains why there's just so much darkness and heavy, dense energy on this planet, in addition to like all of the blessings. Because, like, think about it. We can't even let people use crystals or take salt baths without not only judging them, but we have to call them names. We have to demonize them. We have to kill them. And so I was thinking about how even though I do a lot of what witches do or did back then, I still don't identify as a witch. And I can't help but wonder if that's because of all of the negative stereotypes surrounding witches and the danger of acknowledging that you use magic. 
I mean, just look at the modern day witches who practice Wicca. So even though Wiccans avoid evil and the appearance of evil at all costs, like literally their motto is to harm none. And they strive to live a peaceful, tolerant, and balanced life in tune with nature and humanity. Like literally, it sounds beautiful. It sounds exactly like it's up my alley. Yet I feared, fear, feared, undecided, Wicca <laughs> and Wiccans growing up because I was nervous that someone was going to put some sort of hex or spell on me and I was going to be cursed for life. But that was a false narrative because most of today's witchcraft spells are, they're honestly used to stop someone from doing evil or to stop someone from harming themselves. So on this past Friday the 13th, I actually celebrated the day as I celebrate every Friday the 13th now. I honor the divine feminine in me. What does that look like? For me, it looks like lighting candles. I often wear pink or white. I explore my sexuality. I dance. I play. I relax. I trust. I love. Because that's what feminine energy is really all about. It's about receiving relaxing, trusting, sex. And we all have feminine energy regardless of our sex and gender. Just like we all have masculine energy that works hard, it's protective, it's provider. And during this past Friday the 13th, this goddess energy celebration day, I couldn't help but wonder, and I'm still chewing on this thought, about how much of my life and what I believe to be true what I want, what I even do, how much of these things are based on false narratives, like the idea that Friday the 13th is unlucky and that bad things are apt to happen on this day, particularly if you see a black cat. Now, I was thinking about this and I started thinking about how at one time I believed that the U.S. government would never use propaganda against its own people, especially not in the way that I had been taught that our foreign adversaries use propaganda against their own people. But then there was the cognitive dissonance. When I was a junior in high school, we had a whole unit in history class about how Disney played a role during World War II in literally creating propaganda to get the American people to act, think, and behave in a certain way. You've heard of the Victory Gardens, right? You've heard about the reduction of sugar, collection of fat, and it was all for the war effort. That's propaganda. When, you, when you're trying to get somebody to act, think, and behave a certain way, it's propaganda. And it happens here in the United States too. Now there's tons of other examples as well, like UFOs. The government responding to, you know, reports of hundreds if not thousands of people reporting that they saw an unidentified flying object in the sky by saying like, no, you didn't, or it was a military exercise, it was a weather balloon. Like that's fucking gaslighting. That's propaganda. And the thing is, it's happening right now. And not just about topics that I may suspect that I'm possibly being lied to or possibly it being spun in a way to make it seem more attractive or something. But it could be happening about a topic that I have complete faith that there's transparency surrounding. I mean, it's kind of like the idea saying that 
the most powerful lobby is maybe not the NRA. Maybe the most powerful lobby is one we don't even think about. So as my mind started jumping from all of the government propaganda and the NRA, I started thinking about the movie, The Interview, with James Franco and Seth Rogen, and how it's all about, you know, propaganda in North Korea, but yet in the movie they still show how easy it is to make somebody seem lovable and how easy it is to gaslight and fool people. So I started thinking about growing up in a narcissistic family of origin and just how James Franco's character started to almost get confused whether or not Kim Jong-un was a bad person or not in the interview. I started thinking about all that I've had to relearn already about myself and the world and what is considered normal, healthy behavior in a family and what isn't. And it dawned on me just how truly important it is to learn how to trust your gut above anyone else. Because the truth is, I never thought that I would be forced into a a situation, a reality where I had to accept that my parents and siblings didn't have my best interest in mind. I never thought this was ever going to happen to me. But here I am. I had to learn how to trust my gut and come to the conclusion on my own that I was only going to be able to create a relationship with myself and live a life that felt good to me if I stopped doing what other people wanted me to do. And once I did that, I was able to get to a place where I could see that I wasn't responsible for other people's feelings or other people's behavior or well-being. I don't have to always do what others expect me to do. I could be there for myself 100% of the time because if anyone was going to be there for me, it's going to be me. And once I started allowing myself to live in this new world that I had created for myself, I started to see the propaganda that had been fed to me to keep me small, to keep me from believing in myself, to keep me from believing in my worth, my intelligence, my beauty, and my value, the value that I brought by just being alive. I've had to be patient with myself and learn how to reparent myself and become my own mother, become my own father, and figure out things like boundaries, likes, dislikes, hobbies, talents, and beliefs. I'm still working on all of this. It's a lifelong process, but I want to acknowledge all that you have to learn and unlearn on the healing journey, especially if you're raised in a toxic household. Because in truth, it for me felt like I was learning something new every day after I went no contact. Even before I went no contact, once I learned about narcissistic abuse and all of these new things like boundaries and self-love and affirmations, I felt like my life was being turned upside down every day. What I knew to be true was changing every single day. And it felt as dramatic as learning that Friday the 13th isn't unlucky, but actually one of the luckiest days of the year, a goddess holiday energetically, if you will. I was learning that kind of topsy-turvy, life-changing information every day, sometimes multiple times a day for more than a year. And it's still happening. 
So this is why I wanted to end the show with this reminder to all of you as well as to myself that yes, there are going to be times and decisions that we make, you know, choices as survivors of abuse, as estranged adult children, as healers, lightworkers, and empaths that other people may not understand. And that's okay. Not everybody has to understand possibly ever what it is you're doing or why you're doing it. It's not our job to convince everyone that we're right or to to judge everyone else and prove that they're wrong. It's our job to become the best version of ourselves and stay true to who we are at our core and not mold ourselves into what we think it is someone else wants from us. That's our show today. And remember, you deserve healing from narcissistic abuse because you are fucking worth it. And I love you. If you have any questions about narcissistic abuse or the recovery journey that you would like to have answered on the show, please send an email to katie at elevatedaura.com or submit a voice message on the Healing Laughter Anger podcast homepage. For any other questions, please visit elevatedaura.com.